0: Chapter number two, Acts chapter two, and we will continue what we started this morning that includes continuing. So we're going to continue about continuing um, why the church is there. And uh, Acts chapter two, we talked about it this morning. I will try to briefly recap my one point from this morning. So, turning more and more into my predecessor. Uh, The other one point, got to finish it tonight, you know. So, he's he's rubbed off and it's been good. So, I'm all right with it. Uh, Acts chapter 2, I promise I won't start telling jokes though. Uh, Verse number 41. Well, you know. Acts 2, verse 41 is where we were. And uh, of course, we are at Pentecost and uh, the aftermath of the preaching and what is happening and he says in verse number 41 then they that gladly received his word were baptized in the same day were added unto them about three thousand souls and they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers and fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and Parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Uh, and this morning I made reference, we were talking about uh, ultimately uh, the church here. We gave the background, we talked about all those things and how the church is there. And this morning I covered uh, ultimately. Uh, doctrine. I covered doctrine. They continued. These folks that gathered together and we uh, talked about that. We talked about salvation. Salvation is the thing that brings you in. You have to believe and receive the word of God and trust Jesus Christ as your savior and uh, to start to be part of what is deemed the universal church. Some people don't like that term, but the body of Christ that ultimately everybody who's saved is a part of. And after you get saved and you get part of that, you are supposed to find a place where uh, you can join up and be a part of and to join the group of a local assembly. Uh, And once again, I'm not a Baptist brighter. I don't believe you have to be baptized by a Baptist in a Baptist church that's been baptized by Baptists. Like, that's just, it's crazy. Uh, Instead, if you've had baptism by immersion after you've been saved, you understood what it was for, and you understood what you were doing. Uh, then he says, of course, that they were added onto them. Now, that's, that's key in verse number 41, added onto them, and uh, not necessarily the church. The church gets added to such as should be saved, but that local group is added onto them. They're, they're together. And as they're working together, they find three things there in verse number 42 that they're going to continue in, and the first is the apostles' doctrine. And this morning, I spent the entire morning message talking about doctrine. Uh, We had some visitors here this morning, and uh, they got to find out exactly what we believe without even having to wait for it. Uh, First visit to the church, they get everything that is in our constitutional statement of faith. They get everything of the Baptist distinctives. They get all of it piled into one message, nice and concise, put a bow on it, ready to go. So if they were curious... They don't have to be curious anymore, all right? They got it all at once. Here we go. This is what we got. Uh, it is what we are, and it is what we believe. Uh, good doctrine is the basis, is the basis for the church. Uh, you, cannot have, you cannot have a church without doctrine. The teaching of the Word of God, the preaching of the Word of God, everything is directed through doctrine. I mentioned it this morning, Timothy and Titus, those three books, first and second Timothy and Titus, mentioned doctrine 17 times, Paul writing to his preachers, and he says, hey, give attendance to doctrine. He tells them sound doctrine, sound doctrine, sound doctrine, make sure it's solid. What you're giving them to teach them must be solid and uh, absolute from the Bible over and over and over again he pounds on that doctrine to make sure that teaching is right because ultimately the problem we have is that people get tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive so if you don't have good solid doctrine you'll get blown around and moved all over the place and you won't know what is solid and what is not That's one of the purposes of the church is to make sure you get good, solid, sound doctrine so that you know when somebody says something, you may not be able to answer everything. We can't answer everything. But boy, have you ever sat there and you heard somebody talk and you're like, I don't know what that is, but that just doesn't sound right. Sound doctrine. That doesn't sound very sound to me. It just seems a little off. It just doesn't seem right. Uh, You know, you spend a lot of time in the in, in a Bible, and you know what you'll find uh, you'll find when somebody else uses another one that you can tell the difference real quick. Uh, you understand the doctrines of the Bible and you start learning, it. and then someone says something strange you know they say things about you know that involve Calvinism or things that involve you know, Jesus Christ and how he, you know, this or that and he wasn't, he wasn't sinless or he wasn't perfect or this, you start picking out real quick, Calvinism's not quite right and this isn't quite right and there's something that just doesn't ring true from what I have been taught and what I know as sound doctrine. And so sound doctrine is highly important and Paul encourages that, he warns Jesus Christ himself, warns of the doctrine of the Pharisees. He warns of the doctrine of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. He warns about us going ahead. But he says, uh, he even includes them, and Paul does in Romans chapter 16, to mark them which cause offenses and uh, divisions contrary. Divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine that you have learned. And avoid them. Mark them and avoid them. Point them out and then avoid them. Uh, there's too many people who don't pay any attention to the fact that somebody is just, and it sounds great. We know plenty of churches who go ahead and uh, they've, had, they've had somebody come in and they were listening to Stephen Anderson or they were listening to this guy or they were listening to that guy. And next thing you know, they've got this little following of people and the church is getting ripped apart because they decided they weren't going to listen to sound doctrine. They weren't going to pay attention to what the truth is. And these, they go ahead and they get on a YouTube channel and it looks really good. I'm I'm going to hammer on Stephen Anderson again just for a moment, but Stephen, you know what he is? He's a novelty. So why do you say it that way? Uh, because he's a he claims to be a Baptist, he claims to be a King James Bible believer, and he goes ahead and claims that idea. And then he said, and then he is nothing of that. In fact. He goes ahead and uh, twists and rests the scripture. You know what he turns into? He turns into a uh, uh, mid-trib or a post-trib rapture guy. He has no idea what the Second Advent and the second coming are. He replaces Israel with the, with the church. He goes ahead and does over and. Over. I mean, he's just wrong. <laughs> he's just flat out wrong. He doesn't have the book of Romans, let alone anything else. And you turn around and people go ahead and they go, "Oh, but this guy's a Bible believer. He's not a Bible believer. He's a Bible user to gain his own will and to gain a following. And people get sucked into all those things. See how they get sucked in? They didn't stay with sound doctrine. They didn't continue in the doctrine that they knew was true and instead got pulled into all those other things. And so let's have a word of prayer. We'll look at the last two I'm going to preach on, Lord willing, both of these tonight and uh, see if the Lord will give us a hand on that. Lord, I do once again come before you. Father, we need you tonight. We need you to open the scriptures, and lighten our eyes. Father, help us to see what we need to see. And Father, not just see it, but apply it and do it. And Lord, we do pray you would bless our night tonight, work in our hearts. Father, I don't know if someone here is lost without Jesus Christ. I pray they'd call upon you tonight and that today would be the day of salvation even now. Lord, we do pray your hand would be upon everything that is said and done, that Jesus Christ would be high and lifted up, that he would do exactly what he promised and draw all men. And Father, we get close to our Savior tonight. We love you and we pray you'd come back soon in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. He says in verse number 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Uh, The second thing you find is that they have fellowship with each other. There's some fellowship there. Uh, The word fellow, uh, the the apostle Paul puts a whole lot of endings on the word fellow. Uh, Your fellow is who you go with. That's who you're going to associate with. Everyone you walk with and talk with and have a relationship with. uh, You realize that throughout the Pauline epistles, you get things like this. uh, And I can give you all the references if you need some references. But uh, he references fellow prisoners, men who were imprisoned with him for the cause of Jesus Christ. Fellow prisoners. He had fellow helpers in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Fellow citizens of a heavenly country in Ephesians chapter 2 were fellow heirs. In Ephesians chapter 3, we're fellow soldiers in Philippians chapter 2 and Philemon verse 2. We're fellow laborers. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, along with a whole bunch of other places. uh, We're fellow servants in Colossians chapter 1 and chapter 4. And we're fellow workers, again, in Colossians chapter 4. We're working together. We're laboring together, we're servants together, we're soldiers together, we're heirs together, we're citizens together, we're helpers together, and we're prisoners together. If you want to be fellows with the right people. If you want to join up with the church, that's the thing you get. Uh, The church gains you great help because you aren't alone alone. I know Jesus Christ is with you, and I know he'll never leave you nor forsake you, and I know all those things, right? But some days, you know what you want? You want to look to your right and go, well, at least I'm not the only crazy one, right? At least I'm not the only one left standing. Somebody else is here with me. Somebody else is still standing on sound doctrine. Somebody else still believes what I believe. Somebody else knows what I know. Somebody else is being a witness like I'm being a witness. Somebody else is suffering like I'm suffering. Somebody else, But too many times we've replaced fellowship with the brethren and fellowship with Jesus Christ to go ahead and step out and fellowship with everybody else. We choose family and friends that are lost and not that you can't have friendship with them and not that you can't try to befriend them and so on. But the truth is most Christians spend more of their time with lost people than they do with the saved. And they wonder why they struggle. Because their fellowship's wrong. If you spend all your time around lost people, you know what you'll be? You'll be thinking like lost people. And you'll be saved and you'll be on your way to heaven. But you'll think like a lost world. Because they're all your influence. They influence and they influence and they, in, and they pull you that way. And uh, you, you cannot get away from it. E- we said it in Sunday school, evil communications corrupt good manners. There's, that, is, that is sealed up. That is a true statement. You want to let evil communications in? You want to go ahead and keep fellowshipping with the people you shouldn't fellowship with and keep dealing with them? You know what you'll end up with? Evil communications corrupt good manners. You won't, you won't talk the way you're supposed to talk. You won't walk with Jesus Christ the way you're supposed to walk. You'll start, you'll start distancing yourself from the people you should fellowship with to go ahead and gain other relationships that you shouldn't have. The church is so vital and vitally important to the Christian that you and I need to understand that Jesus Christ died for the church. He loved it, gave himself for it, and he wants us to have fellowship not just with each other but with the Lord himself. And it's done through part part of that is done through the church. Part of that is done right here where we get together and we stand together and we sing together, and we learn a new song together. <laughs> that song was up and down. I was dying, man. Um, that's good. I like the words, but I was having troubles, all right? I was having troubles on my first run-through on that one. But we work together. We listen together. You realize there's something amazing about sitting in a room with everybody else, right here and hearing the preaching of the word of God, whether it's me up here, whether it's one of the other men in the church, whether it's a missionary or evangelist, or, there, is some, there is this amazing transaction that's going on. God is providing the word of God to you in the way that hopefully you understand it and you get it and you gain some things and he enlightens your eyes and you get to have fellowship with him in a way that nobody else is. I like I, I like meeting together. There's something more about it. You can go ahead and get the best message on CD or MP3 or download or podcast or whatever you want to do. Uh, you can get it, and it is never the same. It's never the same. It'd be the best barnstormer of a message, and it will help you. It can help. But it's not the same as when you listen to it live with God's people. Because of the Spirit of God, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there will I be in the midst of them. He wants to fellowship. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9, God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The first person you ought to fellowship with is Jesus Christ. He is the most important person you need to constantly be in contact with. Through Bible reading, through prayer, through understanding and trying to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. His goal is to perfect the saints. His goal is to work in you. He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. He wants to work. He wants to help. He wants you to grow. But if you don't stay in fellowship with Him, it doesn't work so well. You can't grow when you're not in fellowship. You can't can't count on that right relationship because you've decided to walk away. We talk about laborers together and we are God's husbandry and we are God's building and God wants to work in us and he wants to work through us and he wants to go ahead and accomplish the goals that he has set for you and for himself through you and Paul says, hey, we're fellow laborers together but we're also fellow laborers with Christ. He's working. He's working. Hopefully you're working. Hopefully you're doing something to work with him and learn and grow. That's all part of fellowship. That's all part of fellowship. Being a fellow laborer and a fellow worker and a fellow all over again. Just going ahead and doing that. The problem that you have is, uh, look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. You know the spot. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And verse number 14, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion hath light with darkness and what concord hath Christ with Belial or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols for ye are the temple of the living God as God hath said I will dwell in them and and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate saith the Lord and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. God says, hey, uh, I need you to separate. Uh, this morning I was, I was ending up the message. Uh, div- doctrine causes great division. It separates people. It divides out the wheat from the chaff. It divides out those that believe the way that you believe and those that do not. Uh, And I talked about different religious groups and different things. They don't have the same Jesus Christ. They don't have the same things that you and I have. They don't have the same salvation. They don't have the same eternal security. They don't have the same. They just run whatever way they want to run. And it just kind of falls apart around them. And they have no idea. And you and I grab a Bible and we go, here it is. Here's Jesus Christ, the lamb that was slain, who died for my sins and paid the debt. And he says this. Be not unequally yoked together. You know, this is one of those things where uh, I I preach this to the teenagers forever. Some of you uh, will probably remember this. I've I've preached it here at the church. I've talked about this passage. An unequal yoke means they have more power than you do. It's all it is. It's unbalanced. They have more pull and more sway. They have the ability to drag you in a direction you shouldn't be going. That's an unequal yoke. So see, he doesn't say uh, you, can't, you can't have any contact with a lost world and you've got to be a hermit. That doesn't work. How do you reach a lost world without reaching a lost world, right? You've got to have contact. The thing is that people oftentimes do not keep themselves out of situations where they will be pulled to the side and be drawn away. They lose the stability Of standing and having the upper hand of control in the situation. Good example, easy example if you were to go over to somebody else's house, especially as a teenager, as a kid, you go over to somebody's house, you have no transportation, you have no way, you get dropped off. You know what you're stuck with? Whatever those parents allow. And you and I both know lost parents allow way more than you and I would. That's just normal. They have zero standard. And so that that kid goes in and you know what happens? They get influenced. They get pulled aside. They are in a situation where they're unequally yoked. They can't get out. They've joined themselves to this situation and now they're stuck there. And whatever's about to happen is about to happen. Christian... Adult, you do the same. You put yourselves in situations where a lost world has more control over you than you do. And the Lord can't, can't get, get his hand in there and protect you because you've gone ahead and yoked yourself up with somebody who's going to drag you in the wrong direction. You allow influences in your life. You allow those things, and they pull you in the wrong direction, whether it's through you know, social medias, whether it's through friends and coworkers, whether it's through family members, whether it's through, And we have allowed these, these links into our lives, and they grab on, and when they do, they have more pull into your life than, than you do. And you allow the situation to continue, and then you wonder what's wrong. Well, what's wrong is you fellowshiped with the wrong people. And you need to sever, you need to divide, you need to understand that the doctrine teaches that you are supposed to come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and you're supposed to separate from those things and separate to God and to God's people. Because it's the only way you'll be able to stand. It's the only way that God can continue to work. It's the only way that God can continue to have fellowship with you is for you to fellowship with Him. 1 John chapter 1, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. Right? We know the passage. 1 John chapter 1. What's the difficulty? The difficulty is we don't stay in fellowship. We don't stay in fellowship with each other. We don't stay in fellowship with him. And when the fellowship is broken, you don't immediately try to fix it. If we'd immediately try to fix it, you know what you'd be? You'd get forgiveness and you'd stay in fellowship. And then the broken fellowship isn't there and then you won't have to lean to the wrong direction and God will keep you stable. The doctrine of forgiveness for the Christian is there because God understands you need fellowship. You need fellowship within a church, but you need fellowship personally with God. And the church is there to help you get both of those things. It's to encourage you to go ahead and read and to pray and to study and to work and stay in fellowship with your Savior, but then it also brings you into the place where you can finally fellowship with the brethren. It is, it is the best thing. You realize that most people, most people that go into most churches, I wouldn't say necessarily here, They go in and they like a big gigantic mega church so that they can go in, be unnoticed and walk back out unnoticed. That's not the design of the church. The design of the church is to be noticed. The design of the church is to have fellowship. The design of the church is not to be invisible. It's supposed to have fellowship that goes along with it. But most people don't stay in fellowship. Now, We had the missions conference, and people stayed and fellowshiped, even though they were long services. Man, I'm like, you guys need to leave. Get out. I'm going home. See you later. What's going on? People just fellowship. That's healthy. It's good and healthy. Sticking around and just talking and relaxing and being with other Christians. And most of the time, you know what that does? That just strengthens you. It encourages you. It helps you day to day. The fellowship with the brethren is one of the staples, one of the main points, one of the main things that we hold on to as a church is that you can fellowship together, and you ought to. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. That day that's showing up as a rapture, that day is when you and I are going to be taken out of here. That day is the day that you and I will go ahead and leave, and we see things getting worse, and we see things not looking so great for us, and we understand how things are going to go, and so we're looking, and you know what we think? Well, now's not the time to not stay together. So much the more. Find ways to be together outside of the doors of the church. Forsake not the assembling here when we have services, but... Don't go ahead and forsake it out there. You get a chance to meet up with the brethren. Go ahead and do so. I have, (coughs) excuse me, I have pastor friends of mine that uh, if I'm driving through anywhere near them, they get a phone call. I don't get to see them very often. I don't get, you know, and so you know what you do. Hey, I'm, I'm driving through. I didn't get a chance to see Brother Dewey Stewart on my way back down from from Ottawa when we were up in Canada there a few weeks ago at the end of October. I didn't get a chance to see him, but I called him, and I said, Hey, Brother Dewey, you free? What's going on? I'm going to be crossing the border in about three hours. What do you got? Are you free? And he couldn't. He He had appointments and things for his son, and he couldn't meet up, but he wanted to. The desire of friendship and fellowship and closeness. Keeps you strong. Keeps you strong. Because ultimately, look back over at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I'll try not to be as long tonight as I was this morning. And I'll do two points instead of one. I'll still be faster. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread. Now, notice I lumped that in over with the fellowship because we're Baptists, and so if you're fellowship, and there's probably food, so there it is. Uh, and in prayers, prayers. You realize that if you're in fellowship with someone, the natural byproduct is that you pray for them. You care about, you start to care about them. You start to have a burden for them. You start to have a concern for them that you didn't have before. And so you start to pray for them because you know that they have needs and you know that they have problems and you know they have struggles and troubles and all the things. And so you find out, hey, you know, you know what the natural reaction is? The people you fellowship with are the people you'll pray for. The people you're closest to, are the people you would pray for, and if they have a request, you would go ahead and pray. But that's why we stay in fellowship. Doctrine divides, and it gets people down to who they should fellowship with. And then when they start fellowship, and you know what they start? They start finding out. Hey, he's got the same problems that I've got. Hey, she's going through some things I didn't know that. Boy, I ought to pray. I ought to pray. The Apostle Paul is replete with prayer. Praying always with all prayer and supplication for all saints. Over and over and over. Prayer, prayer, prayer. Samuel makes the statement that uh, he he would sin against God in ceasing to pray for you. The the cost of not praying for the other is ultimately sin because God asked you to. He says in James chapter 5, right? Pray one for another. Pray one for another, that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Pray for one another. You know, the church is there so that you don't have to stand alone as an island. Oh, it's me and God versus everybody. I mean, ultimately, in your own personal life, your own personal walk, it's you and the Lord. But boy, it's wonderful to have somebody else walk up next to you and go, I'm praying for you. It's wonderful to have people that go, hey, do you need anything? You look, you look a little rough today. Can, I, can we do something? Can we help you? Can we pray for you? Can we say why? Because that's the one thing you need. You realize that Peter walks up and goes, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I unto thee. We may not have a whole lot of silver and gold, but we got something. Not only do we have the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the price of redemption is at our disposal to let someone know that Jesus Christ will save to the uttermost if they trust Him, but we also have the ability to reach and to pray and pray for someone else in their hour of need. What a wonder. What a wonder. I say, boy, I I wish more people would pray for me. He that hath friends must show himself friendly. We learned about it this morning, adults, catching up. From last week, if you were in Sunday school last week, you saw it. You know, God God is amazing when He's answering prayers, and sometimes He is so amazing at answering it, you and I don't even believe He's going to. Even when we got the evidence right in front of us. And He's still so good to us. Look over at Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. God God is so amazing that He honors the prayers of the saints, even even when they're not so sure of what God's doing. You ever pray You ever pray and then be like, oh, wow, God actually, actually did that. <laughs> I mean, I know He can, but I'm amazed that He actually would, just for, just for me asking. Some days, some days, isn't that how it feels? God, I asked and I, I'm just, I'm humbled by the fact you would answer. You get to Acts chapter 12, and I won't read the the whole passage, you can start in verse number 1 all the way down to verse number 19. I want you to kind of be able to skim it if you'd like. And Herod has gone ahead and vexed the church, and he's killed James, the brother of John, with the sword in verse 2. He sees that, so he grabs Peter, and he's about to go ahead and put him to death as well. By the way, verse number 4, after Easter, to bring him forth to the people is a correct translation. Uh, and so if you have a question about that, ask Pastor Lego. He's got all the notes right there. Amen. Uh, and so they've got Peter and he's kept in prison. And notice verse number five, but prayer was made for him without ceasing of Peter. You know, Peter's praying for himself. And if you don't pray for yourself, you'll never, no, no. Prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And Herod's ready to take him. He's sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and the keepers, and they're going to, and the angel of the Lord wakes them up. says, "Hey, let's go, put your shoes on. We're leaving. Jailbreak, right? And they pass through, and as they keep walking, the doors keep opening. First set of automatic doors, right? Praise the Lord. Walmart didn't have them first. God had them first and as they walk up those doors start swinging open in front of them and swinging open in front of them and Peter's thinking man this is crazy All right, let's do it prison break get out and Peter shows shows up and he knows right where to go verse number 12 when he considers the thing he came to the house of Mary the mother of John whose surname was Mark where many were gathered together praying he knew right where to go Isn't that amazing? He knew, hey, if there's a prayer meeting going on, I know who I need to go to and let them know their prayers have been answered. Say, where did he go? He went to the place where he knew people would be praying. Sounds like a church to me. And he gets to the house, that little house church. He shows up and he knocks at the gate. A damsel comes named Rhoda and she hears Peter's voice and she's so excited she doesn't even open the gate for him. She's so excited. She leaves him out there. She's like, I got to tell everybody. And she runs back inside. And Peter's like, they could be looking for me now. By the time you get back with everybody else, they might have me. I might be back in between two soldiers wrapped with two chains sitting there on the floor of a prison waiting to die. Would you hurry up and open the door already? And here she is. She's running inside. Everybody goes, you're crazy. You're mad. You don't understand. You don't know what's happening. What do you mean Peter's at the door? She's like, Peter's at the door. And so finally, they don't understand. They don't think it's real. Verse 16, Peter just keeps knocking. Finally, they're like, oh, we should probably open that. Somebody want to get that. Peter's out there. Come on. Let me in. And they open the door and they're astonished. They see him. They're astonished. But he beckoned unto them with a hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. How about that? You say, how did he get out of the prison? He got out of the prison because the church was praying. So, God to do that anyway. What are you, Calvinist? Maybe it would have been alright for Peter to go to death. If it weren't for some folks praying. Why the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. If your prayers don't mean anything, why do you bother? If our prayers don't avail to much of anything, and we, why bother with Wednesday night coming to prayer meeting? Why take up the prayer request? Why get on your face? Why pray? Why ask God to move? Why ask God to go ahead and step in and intervene and do what He does best, which is absolutely the most impossible and amazing and wonderful things? Why would we do that? We do that because prayer changes the hand of God. It moves his hand and it makes it so that he was willing to do some things that maybe he wouldn't do without you asking and simply beckoning to him. His statement in Galatians chapter 2 is, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And some days, you know what? All you can do to bear their burden is get down on your face and go, God, please help them because I don't know what else to do. I don't know what else to do. I had someone talking to me just this week. And they're asking me questions, and they're like, Pastor, what do I do? (laughs) And you know what I thought? No idea. You say, that's crazy. (laughs) What do you mean no idea? I can give him some guesses, and I can try and help him see some things, but the truth of the matter is it's not his situation. I don't have all the details. And I look at it, and I just go, I'll pray you have a lot of wisdom. This is what I have for you. But I don't know what the right thing for you to do is right there. What do you mean you don't know? Because we don't know everything. We don't know everything. You say, what do you need to do? Pray and ask God. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth all men liberally, and abradeth none. Go, hey, I don't know exactly what to do. This is These pieces I got covered. This is the easy part. But let's face it, I don't know how to do that part. You say, what do you do? Pray. Pray, pray, and pray. And pray the Lord give you a good answer to help him later. And pray that the Lord would give them the answer. Pray the Lord would work in their life and give them the right response and give them the right things. Because some days, you don't know what to say. What do you say to some folks grieving the loss of a loved one? What do you say to people who are going through things that you've never even thought of? What do you say when they're dealing with grief so severe that you have no idea reference point to be able to figure out how much they're hurting how do you minister how do you help oh you pray that's how you help oftentimes you stay quiet and you say things like i'm praying i'm praying if you think of something for me to do you tell me i'll do it it's done but most of the time you know what you're not pulling out you're not pulling out romans 8 and telling them how wonderful everything is Instead, you're saying, God is still there and he's faithful and I, he'll get you through. I don't know what he's doing, but I'm praying. And I'm praying that God would lighten your eyes and help you and strengthen you and get you through. Say, Why? Because what else are you going to do? Job's friends were great while they were sitting there quiet. And some days that's all you can do is sit there and be quiet and pray. And pray and pray say what is that for that's for the church other people they don't understand you know it means something to people when you pray for them Dave Ockmody and I were praying for a man I don't don't even know I know he's not at Tessie anymore praying for a man's daughter because he came to us and we prayed And we prayed with him, lost man, no idea. You know what he was looking for? Somebody to pray. (laughs) Is there anybody that can get a hold of God? Because I don't know how to get a hold of God. That's what he's thinking. And his daughter was desperately sick. It was months and months later. We were street preaching down in Syracuse. And I'm standing there. And down the hill, I see him walking up, heading to the SU game. There he is, and he's yelling at other people to leave him alone, and he doesn't want a gospel track, and he doesn't, you know. I don't know who it was down there. I can't remember who was down the hill, but he didn't like them very much. And he saw me. I had There was like this gap in front of him where nobody was. That hardly ever happens, right? I mean, they're all just in droves going up the hill trying to get to the dome. I step right in the middle in front of him, and I go, hey. Can I get you one of these? I grab a gospel track. And he looks up and he's going to be mad at me. And he all of a sudden sees who I am. And for that one moment, he didn't care. He didn't care that I was trying to give him a track. He didn't care. All he said was, hey, I got somebody for you to meet. It was his daughter. Not in the hospital Not on life support, not on them doing all the things they had to do to try to keep her alive. Instead, here she is going to her. And he said, this is her first time out going to a basketball game since she's been in the hospital. This is the first time we've been able to go and do something. You think that's coincidental? That I meet up with him at that particular instance and he looks at his daughter and he says, this is one of the men that prayed for you. And that's why you're better say, what greater testament can you have? You say, oh, well, it would be great if he got saved. I I don't know if he ever did. But he took a track from me. He took another track and gave it to his little girl and said, read that. Say, what are you going to do? I don't know. Say, what's God going to do? I don't know. He was willing to save a little girl. Because someone was willing to pray. And when a lost world has no idea what else to do, you know what they'll do? They'll find somebody they know goes to church, so they'll pray. They understand, whether they realize it or not, they understand that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And if they could get anybody praying for them, they'd take it. They'd take it. When the troubles come and the trials come and all those things are raining down on them and they have no clue and they have no way to reach to God, you know what they'll do? They'll find somebody else who does. Thank God for a church that prays. I would encourage you to be here on Wednesday. I know some of you work, you can't be here. I get it. Boy, if you could be here, you know what you'd have? You'd have a meeting with the church where you get the requests of the church family. Some about them and some about people they just love and they care about. And it's the time and the place where we come together to raise those prayer requests up to heaven and see what a marvelous God will do when we ask him. Too many times people don't come. Too many times they've got something better. I want you to know Peter did not think there was anything better than a group of people praying at that house. When he showed up, he's knocking on the door going, you guys better let me in before this whole thing falls apart. But bless God, you were praying and I'm out. That man couldn't have been any happier that his daughter wasn't in a hospital bed or worse than a grave. He couldn't have been any happier because because God moved and did some great things. Say, oh, it's because you're great. I'm not great, I have a great God who is wonderful and he's merciful and he wants to help and he wants to aid and he wants to do those things but the church's job is to get on their face before him and pray and beseech him to do some things in a world where you and I understand that the impossible is only found at the feet of the throne of a loving God I swear you get it that's the place the church is wonderful The church stands upon the doctrine that has been built. The foundation of a Bible. The foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we build upon that foundation and we work our way upward so that we can go ahead and stand strong in an evil day and having done all to stand. That is only found possibly because of the strong doctrine that is given. The truth of the Bible makes it so that you and I can stand in an evil day. When everybody else has nothing left to stand on, the rock that is higher than I is the thing you stand upon. And you hold fast on those things. And it divides you, and it puts you in a separate category from everybody else. And you're that weird church, and you're the, you know, you're the, yeah. Yeah, I am. <laughs> That's me. Okay. Well, that divides us. So you can fellowship with the right people. By the way, good doctrine will keep you in good fellowship. And good fellowship will have people praying for you and you'll be praying for them. That's how the church works. The church works because men are willing and ladies are willing and kids are willing to go ahead and learn and grow and stand and fellowship and pray. What a wonderful gift to us the church is. Never forget it. Let's go ahead and stand. You know, Jesus Christ loves the church. He loves it so much he gave himself for it. Jesus Christ loves the church so much that he was willing to die to make it possible. That's a pretty good deal. I hope you love the church. Love the brethren. Anybody who's saved in the world. mention Shiloh here in a minute. And the truth of the matter that you and I have is we need to pray together. I love that we prayed over Brother Paul before he left. So what does he need? He needs to know his church family cares and that we're praying and that he may be halfway around the world and we're still on our face praying, beseeching God to protect him and to help him, strengthen him fellowshipping together, please, please don't let friendship with the world get in the way of your friendship with God and His people. It's the best things you'll ever have. If you're in here tonight without Jesus Christ, I'd ask you to come. We'll open a Bible and show you how you can know your sins are forgiven forever. I hope everybody in here is saved. I haven't heard everybody's testimony, but most. And maybe you need to come and let us know, hey, I need a Savior. I'd love my sins forgiven forever. If you would, we'll gladly open a Bible, answer your questions, and show you how you can have your sins forgiven forever. God, take care of you for all of eternity. Come part of a church. Be a part of some things that God's trying to do. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and we'll sing the invitation, and afterwards we're going to pray for Shiloh right now, if you need to deal with the Lord, please do. Father, I do pray you would bless the invitation even now. Work in our hearts that Jesus Christ would have preeminence. And Lord, we love you. We love this church. Father, I love these people. And I pray, Lord, you would continue to help us stand together and stand strong in an evil day. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.